0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 19 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 18th of October 2009, entitled The Fundamentals, His Visible Return, Part 4. And the barber reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles in okay, First Thessalonians and chapter 4 is where we will begin to take our Scripture reading from this morning. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Father, we thank you so much this morning. Lord, first of all, just for the privilege to be able to be gathered together here in your house today. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace in reaching down to save our souls one day. Father, we thank you for your word that you've preserved for us, that we have before us, and for your spirit that lives and dwells within to give us understanding of these spiritual matters. Father, we just pray that you would take and use this time today for your glory. We pray that you would anoint, that you would take, and and bless, Lord, that the words that are spoken here today would be the words that you would have spoken. You know the hearts of each individual. You know if there's anyone in our midst this morning that's lost, that needs to be saved, Father, you know if there is that one that is walking afar off that needs to be drawn near. Father, you know each and every Christian's, you know the burdens they're carrying now or might be carrying this week, you know the challenges that lie before them. We pray that you would take and meet each need as only you can for your glory and for your honor alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. We're up this morning to sermon number 19 in our series on contending for the faith, and of course as we have gone through that series and we have come to those things that we are to contend for, those fundamentals of the faith, and I can tell you that this fundamental, it really is the longest sermon I've ever written in my life, and I've had to leave so much out, (laughs) but speaking of those things that are fundamental about Jesus Christ our Lord. And of course, we're up now to the reality of His, Jesus Christ, visible return to this earth. And we've been looking at that for the past few weeks. We began by trying to define the importance of the visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth we then moved on to describing the meaning of just what we're talking about when we speak of his visible turn, of his visible return, of his second coming. And then we began by detailing the action. And of course, for those of you that were here uh, last week and picked up one of the uh, timelines that I gave for you, I've already made changes to it already. Uh, not that I've taken anything off, but I always find some little something that, I, because you've got to realize that there are many, many more verses in the Word of God that deal with the second coming than just what's on this this timeline. Um, and uh, so I have, you'll notice if you uh, have got yours, I'll print off some more and you can replace it if you'd like. But I've just added in a few verses here that deal with this uh, period that we know as the uh, seven years of tribulation here upon this earth and and also uh, this one here dealing with the millennial kingdom of our lord that will be uh, set up now we stated when we began to look at this uh, uh, detailing the action of the second coming the first matter as far as literally defining the importance and 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 looking at how important that it is to it is to us as believers describing what we mean about it, those things are fundamental to the faith. Um, I said very simply and unashamedly that you cannot be part of the same Christian faith and not believe that Jesus Christ is returning to this earth for the saints. But as we moved into detailing the action, I did say to you there, we've got a lot of brothers and sisters in the Lord that don't have the same idea as far as the timing that we do. That doesn't make them heretics. The simple truth is, is that We cannot really approach this subject without looking at these details to some degree and sharing with you why that we state what we believe about the visible return, the second coming of Jesus Christ, as we do in our statement of faith as a body of believers here. And there are things that though they may not be fundamental to be part of the same faith, they are extremely important to be part of the same fellowship if we are to join our hearts together on those matters. So we don't want to confuse the two, but at the same time we want you to to realize that the purpose of this time chart is just to give you an idea that as those that believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, a pre-millennial return of Jesus Christ to this earth to set up His kingdom here upon this earth, I believe that you'll find that this just gives you an idea of exactly what order and where those things fall in with some of the important scriptures there to uh, explain those things to you. Now, as we continue in our uh, sermon this morning, if I can figure out what pages out of these 30-some that uh, uh, that I need here, uh, we have moved up at this point to, of course, looking at his uh, uh, His visible return and as we began to, to look at that, we, we noted a couple of things that we wanted to, uh, to look at. And the first one we looked at last week, which is the rapture of His church in the air. And that's where we want to continue to, uh, uh, to look this morning. I believe with all of my heart, folks, that's the next thing to happen on God's time schedule. We will look at some of those things. I believe unashamedly in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is absolutely nothing hindering His returning right now, right here today, even before this service comes to a close. Now, as we looked last week at those things concerning the rapture, I want us to, to move on because we realize that, of course, if we look and remember that, The rapture is only the first stage of this one single event known as Christ's second coming. And you see on your chart that right here is the rapture, the return of Christ in the air for His church, as we've just read from the Scriptures, where the dead in Christ will rise first, and we which are uh, alive and remain, then we will be caught up to meet Him in the air. We looked at some of those passages we saw there in 1 Corinthians last week that Folks, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. This old sinful body will be put away and we will receive that new glorified body without sin whatsoever. But as we look at that return of Christ in the air for his church and, of course, the return to the earth with his church, if we look at this one single event but realize that it's in two stages and that it's divided by a seven-year period, And, of course, we said, you know, somehow we may think that's strange, but it's really not. If we look around, there are events that take place all around us. Some of them will happen instantaneously, but some will take hours, some will take days, some will take weeks, some will take years. And we don't find that strange that those events can be over a period of time. When we look into God's Word, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are a lot of events that are going to take place over a seven-year period, which is all part of that second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. Of course, as we look at this, as these seven years begin, we start with the raptured saints in heaven, as we saw last week, but also the remaining sinners here upon the earth. Now, it is a time that's filled with very important events for both. But the, car- the contrast between those events and what is happening with them could hardly be greater. I want us to look, first of all, this morning at the raptured saints in heaven. You'll find that during this seven years that I've got here in red on your chart, the seven-year tribulation period. This is earth, this big line running across here. This is what's taking place here upon the earth. But at the same time here, the, the saints have been called out of here to meet the Lord in the air, and we're now in heaven. And so there are events that are taking place in heaven at the same time that these events are taking place here on earth. The raptured saints are in heaven. They've met Jesus Christ at this time. And for the saints that are in heaven during this time, there are two great events that will be taking place during this time. The first one is what we know as the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I'd like to give you just a couple of passages. If you look, first of all, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14, and in Romans chapter 14, we find in verse 10, he says, but why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not, thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know why are we wasting our time here upon this earth pointing our fingers and trying to judge the rights and wrongs of others? The Bible teaches us here that Every one of us, all of us. He's writing to the believers here now, not the lost people. He's writing to those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he says, all of we, all of we Christians, all of we believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now turn just a few pages over in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And again, as the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, notice what he says to them here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 11 and reading down through verse 15. He says, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now remember, we've looked at this passage already in this series There is no other foundation whatsoever to be built upon except Jesus Christ himself. We've said very clearly, he is our foundation. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. It will be made clear. It will be made known. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now keep in mind, this is the judgment seat of Christ. This has nothing to do with judging whether a person is saved or lost. There is nobody at this judgment except those that are believers, those that have been raptured from the earth. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and while we are there, The Bible teaches us that we will give account for those things which we have done in this life, but we see clearly here it is not those works that will decide our salvation because even if our works are burned up, we shall be saved yet as by fire. I think that one of the things that I would hate to even contemplate is standing before the Lord Jesus one day with all that he has given to me, and so undeservedly, and yet having to stand there and face that what I've done in this life, whether it be because it was the wrong works or the wrong motives or those things that we've looked at before, that it's all gone because it was not done for him, for his glory. The truth is, is that we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ as believers Not to be judged for our salvation, but to be rejudged for rewards. Now, there's an awful lot of speculation over, I mean, if you're going to be in heaven, why do you need more than that? You know, if you're going to be in in the most perfect place, it is beyond anything that we can imagine. And, you know, the truth is none of us really know what all these rewards are about. The Bible does give us, we've looked at in the past, some of those different crowns that will be awarded. I've got my own personal idea, and I can't give you chapter and verse for it. But I believe that as we're there in heaven, the greatest thing that those rewards will accomplish for us is knowing that it was done for His glory, that we've got something to lay at His feet to give to Him. We're not going to take anything from here with us. There is nothing in this life that you can take with you. Only that which is done for Him will last. And I believe with all my heart that one of the greatest joys that we could experience is He that has loved us and done so much for us that we've got something to lay at His feet to give him thanks for all that he has done. I'd like to read one other passage, and again, it's just a few pages over in your Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'd like to read one verse in verse 10. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Simple truth is, folks, is we must all appear there. There is no getting around it. And as a believer, you're not going to be there unless you are a believer, unless your sins have been taken care of. But I believe that that should challenge us in our Christian lives. The Bible says we will give an account for that which we've done, whether it be good or bad. The Bible says some of the things are going to be burned up and some of them are going to be saved. The truth is, are we building up our treasures in heaven or are we trying to build them up here on earth as believers? If there is going to be anything in heaven, it's going to be that which we do for the Lord Jesus Christ, there for His glory. So we find that the Scriptures are very clear that all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ when he's speaking to the believers. But there's also something else that you'll notice there on your chart, and that not only is the judgment seat of Christ, but the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, it stands to reason that the judgment seat of Christ has to take place first because at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the bride is being presented spotless and adorned for her groom. Look in Revelation chapter uh, 19, if you would. And in Revelation chapter 19, you find this in verses 7 through 9. He says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints." And he saith unto me, Right Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he hath said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. So we find that there is something else that is taking place here in heaven which is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you believe that's literal? Yes. Remember, I told you there's two primary reasons that Christians have come up with different ideas on whether or not that they stand on a premillennial uh, uh, reign of a uh, return of Christ or whether they are uh, amillennial in their beliefs. And it really comes down to what you take literally as God says it or what is take as, as typography, as symbolism of something that's not genuine and real. I personally do not see that as Christians, that we ought to take and symbolize anything that God doesn't give us a good reason himself to symbolize. If God says it's going to happen, and there is much, if you take and read many of the old prophets, we'll see whether whether it's Isaiah or whether it's Daniel, you take and read what they're saying is going to happen. If you read it and believe that it's going to happen as they said it, you look at the book of Revelation and you look at what the Bible says is going to happen. If you take it for what it says, then you believe that these things are literal. Why should they not be? Why would God? Yes, God uses typologies in the the Old Testament. Yes, he uses symbolisms even in the New Testament. But those things are usually clear and very clear for us to see. When the Word of God says something, we should not take it upon ourselves that God means something different than what he says. And so we find that the Bible speaks specifically, these are not names that man has made up for things that are taking place that there are two events that is going to take, be taking place in heaven following the rapture of the church out of here. And one of them is the judgment seat of Christ when his believers each one will stand there not for their salvation but to give an account of the works that they've done in this life whether they will have any rewards that have been laid up there or not. And there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, we find that throughout the Scriptures that the Lord uses this picture of the bride and the groom coming together. We as a church being the bride of Christ and he being the groom. And there's coming a day when these old sinful bodies have been left behind, when we have been made ready for the groom. and We have those, those sinless, glorified bodies. But the Bible says there's going to be a marriage supper. There's going to be, finally, when we are ready, to be joined genuinely with the Lord Jesus Christ as his bride. So the rapture saints in heaven, those are the events, and we could say many things about those, but that's not our purpose at this time. At the same time that you can see that these two events are taking place in heaven, we find that there are a lot of events that are taking place here upon planet Earth. The remaining sinners on Earth, for those that have been left behind on earth, it will be a period like nothing that this world has ever seen. We call it the seven-year tribulation period, the great tribulation. We find that it will be a time that nothing that man has ever seen can compare to it. Turn with me, first of all, in your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 24. Now we've looked at a few of these verses in this chapter when we attempted to describe the, um, the importance and to define the meaning of the second coming. There can be no question as to what Jesus is describing here because of the question that is asked to him in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. We find that a very specific question is asked. And as he set up on the Mount of Olives, The disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? Listen, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, do you believe a lot of people see this as a negative? They think that somehow, you know, these Christians for 2,000 years have been saying he's coming now and he still hasn't come. And, of course, the Bible tells us that there will be those that will mock us, that they will actually make light of us because of that. Oh, you keep saying this and saying this, but nothing is happening. But you see it just the contrary. I see it as a positive. And as we look through this, I hope you can understand and believe. Yes, even those Christians in the first century, they believed with everything within them that Jesus Christ could come back right then. They believed he would come back before their physical lives came to an end. And that remnant of believers ever since then, there have been many of them that have held on to that same belief, even down to right here, 2,000 years later, yes, I do believe that he will return before I leave this earth. I believe that. I believe that he can. I don't know that, and I'm not about to get out as some and prophesy that he's coming on such and such a date and such and such an hour because we'll see that no man knows that. But I believe that his coming is that close and that's not, I believe that Jesus Christ meant for it to be that way. That each and every one of us as his followers through all of these generations should be living our lives as if we believed he was coming back today. It makes all the difference. He goes to great lengths. Notice, specifically, they've asked this question, What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now notice, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come into my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many and because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold but he that shall endure unto the end the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, stand in thy holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let him which be in Judea flee into the mountains, Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray that your fight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. Now we know, we know as we look into verse 27 that something changes dramatically. Now, in the reading of these verses that we understand, there's no question they have asked the Lord specifically What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Two things. Lord, when are you coming back? How shall we know what's going to be the sign of that and the end of the world? There's something that's going to coincide. Jesus is going to come back, and there's going to be an end. Now, if we understand the second coming as, an event that's taking place in these two stages that we have pointed out to you here over a seven-year period, these verses become much clearer and easier to understand. You see, you can have absolutely no doubt what's taking place in verse 27, the next verse there. We looked at this one last week, I think it was, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. Believe me. This event here, nobody is going to miss it. We went to some detail talking about what we meant by the visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, just like that lightning flashing in the sky on one side and yet you can see it right across to the other, he says that's the way it's going to be when he comes back. You won't miss it. That's a visible return. And yet we find that the Bible also speaks of him coming as a Thief in the night, we find that here as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, that is at the end of the seven-year period. Now, pinpointing the beginning of it is a lot more of a challenge. But should that surprise us? Should we be able to pinpoint the beginning of that period the initiation of his second coming. Well, notice what he says here in this same chapter. First of all, notice what he says down in verse 36. He says, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. Notice down in verse 42. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Verse 44, therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. The whole purpose of the passage is that we should see the signs and that we should be ready not to be able to draw a line under and say, there, that's when it's going to begin. That's when it's going to start. As a matter of fact, he says that is impossible. Our passage is speaking of the second coming and of the signs that we should recognize as it draws near as we approach that time here on this earth. Folks, things are spiritually deteriorating to such a degree that as the Christians are literally snapped out of here It's just going to progressively get worse. If it's bad now, what do you think it's going to be like when the believers are gone? And the Holy Spirit, by the way, lives and dwells within the believers. What do you think that it's going to be like upon this earth then? And I'll tell you a simple fact. You know, many times we don't realize. We don't realize there is a big difference. When you go into a country, a country that maybe has Maybe there are no Christians, or maybe there are few Christians, but they have a great influence of the demonic powers, of these cults, of these religions of the world that have nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't think that there is an oppression that comes from that, if you don't think that there is a difference in a place where Christians are and where Christians are praying to keep those things at bay, you've got another thing coming. There is a big difference That's why for many of our missionaries that are working in those areas of the world, we ought to be praying earnestly for them. Our prayers need to be reaching from here because many of them, the places that there are, there's certainly nobody praying for them there. And they are standing face to face against the very forces of hell. Well, they need not fear. (laughs) Folks, we don't have to be afraid of the devil. But we can't fight him in our own strength and in our own power. We need that which is beyond us. We find that... When the Christians are gone from here, it's only gonna, it's only gonna get worse. We find that the Bible teaches us as we look at greater detail into some of the prophetic books that, in actual fact, that seven years is again divided into two, three and a half year periods. And that literally the first, the first half of that, boy, everything's going to think that this, this new leader that's come to power, he is the greatest thing since baked bread, praise God, or since mom's apple pie or whatever the, your favorite is. But we find that there's going to come a point about halfway through this time when he's going to show his true colors. More and more people are going to begin to Recognize him for who he is. Now, I thank God that as we study, remember, at that point, at the beginning of this seven years, all the believers are out of here. There's only those that are non-Christians that are left upon this earth. And, of course, there's a lot of things. God's going to call forth His witnesses. There's going to be the 144,000. And I'll say this as we look, and, and we, you can look at some of those things yourself. The, the reality is, is that for most of that period, His primary focus is going back to the nation of Israel once again, as it did before the Gentile period that we live in now. God is God of all, and His grace reaches to all. But once again, there are many fulfillments that must be fulfilled for the nation of Israel that will be fulfilled during those seven years here upon this earth. You see, I thank God that people will be saved during that time. But to be saved during that time is going to cost them dearly. Matter of fact, for most of them, it will cost them their lives. There will not be any pretending. (laughs) Because if you're going to stand up and be counted, we know that those that will not receive the mark of the beast will not even be able to, to buy and sell. At one time, that seemed so impossible And yet now it's not so hard, is it, when most of us do everything that we do by plastic and online and all of these things that it's not hard to recognize and understand how a cashless society can very easily work out there. And, folks, if you don't think that the technology is already in place, (laughs) that if we were in a cashless society, as most most of you never even, you know, the days of getting cash for the work that you've put in have long, long, long been gone. Very few people get that. It went from that to that piece of paper called a check, but now most of it's just electronically transferred all the time from one fund to another, and it's done that way. The technology is there. You don't think that you could be stopped from being able to go down to the shop and be able to, to buy your loaf of bread and your milk if everything is being done electronically And if you haven't received the mark that is necessary, the mark of the beast to identify you with the world and not with him, not with Christ, oh, it's the technology's there now. It's not hard for us to see those things happening anymore. I'm saying that it's upon us. We find that during that last three and a half years, that's when it it, folks, it is going to be like nothing that anybody has ever imagined or seen upon the face of this earth before. Now, some of them, as we're looking at this passage here, which we know precisely that Jesus is answering the question about the sign of his coming and the end of the world. Now, some believe right there in verse 4 is where the tribulation period begins and the Christians are out of here. And that all of this is dealing strictly with the tribulation. Some believe these first few verses are dealing with our last years here upon earth and that it's in verse 8, the beginning of sorrows, that the Christians are raptured and the tribulation period begins. Still others see verse 15, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist himself, that that's where the tribulation begins. You know what my advice is to you this morning to see it as Christ said it, understand what he was answering here and what he wanted us. These things are a sign of his coming and of the end of the world. He's saying, be ready. He's saying there are lots of events to take place before the second stage of Christ's coming when just like that lightning bolt, he'll be visible for everyone to see. But I don't see one single event in God's Word that needs to take place before the first stage of His second coming, the rapture, the saints being called out of here. That's why that I can stand unashamedly and I can declare to you this morning that I believe with all my heart in the imminent return of Jesus Christ, that He can come right now before this service even comes to a close nothing whatsoever to hinder it. Look back with me very briefly into the book of Daniel in your Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 9. Now, for some of you that have been here with us for some while at at Bethel, you'll remember that some years back we did a verse-by-verse study through the book of Daniel as we looked at this prophecy and what the many, many things here, because there are many symbolisms and things that are represented here. We certainly don't have time to do that now, but hopefully you'll have retained some of what we talked about there. We find that if you look with me in Daniel chapter 9, I'd just like to read from verse 20 down to verse 27. He says, and While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for well, thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand this matter and consider the vision. In verse 24, he says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks and the streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Now, ultimately, in simplifying and just simply summarizing, if you would, he said, we're talking about 70 weeks of dealing with Israel, the the, the nation, your people. And he, he tells them all these things that are going to take place, and he gives them a time scale. And then, of course, he separates and he says there is this 70th week. And he's the one that splits it in half for three and a half and three and a half and the the significant differences that are taking place there, which is also done then in the New Testament. We find that Daniel is being told that these things are going to be. This is being given to you for understanding. Now, remember, this is dealing with the nation of Israel at the cross, when we began what we know is this age of grace, the church age, the age that you and I live in now, this Gentile age, and of course when we began that period, that was at the 69th week of Daniel that was told. And we're in that intermittent time because this is not the time when God is dealing directly through the nation of Israel as he did with his people in the Old Testament. He's dealing through his church in the New Testament. You and I live in the church age, this age of grace. Now, there's coming a 70th week, one more week that he's going to deal with the nation of Israel once again. His focus will be upon them. Not that he's not the God of the whole. Can a Jew be saved today just as surely as you and I as individuals? God's grace is sufficient for any human being. But God is not doing His ministry. He's not, if you would, managing His economy through the nation of Israel as He did prior to the cross. He's doing it through the church. He established His church. He built His church. And that's what the New Testament is about And today, that 70th week is this seven years of tribulation that we're talking about right there. And we looked at all those numbers and what they represented when we were there. And you're welcome to go back and study all those things. But I want you to look at one other place before we close this morning in Revelation chapter 6 for me. Revelation chapter 6. We find that if you will, again, look upon your chart there, you will find that many, many, of the passages on this chart are from the book of Revelation. Now, I will try to have you another chart because, again, for those of you that have been here at Bethel for some time, we took several years going through the book of Revelation verse by verse. God gave us His word to understand, not to confuse. Many people say, Oh, you know, I don't understand it. Folks, the book of Revelation is given to you to understand, not to confuse you. And you simply take it for what it says. Now, I drew up a chart, and I didn't bring them with me, and I will I'll, I want to reprint that, and I want to give it to you because, again, we can't pause here for a few years to go through the book of Revelation. We just don't have time for that in this present series. But I do want to give you that study guide again. Nothing phenomenal. It's just something that I put together that is set out in, in 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 seven sets of seven that shows us uh, easily how that these things are taking place through the book of Revelation, and I'll, I'll I'll pass one of those along to you to look at. What I want you to realize is in the entire book of Revelation, that from chapter six, verse one, right up through verse eighteen or chapter 18, verse 24, most of the, of the book of Revelation is dealing with this seven years of tribulation. We find that, again, we could take and look at all of those events and they are exciting and, and you're welcome to do so. But what's important at this point is that we realize that as this book is dealing, it gives us the details, it describes in great detail What is taking place upon this earth during the seven-year period upon this earth, during the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the two stages, the rapture, while then the saints are in heaven and the sinners are left on earth, and these events that are taking place, it describes it in great detail. And if you don't take God's word for what it says, you know, one of the things that I was taught very, very early in trying to study for the ministry is that when the plain sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense. (laughs) You know, so many times we try to make it hard. We try to read into it all kinds of things. And I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And if there's somebody that even is later listening to this out there on the iPods or whatever, if you don't believe this timeline the way I do, then I love you. But if we take God's Word as it is given to us in plain text, and if we accept that what he says to us is truth and that he means it in that way and that he's given us all these scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, he goes to great trouble to give us great detail in his word dealing specifically with this event that we call the second coming. Now I want you to realize today that for each and every one of us here, I'm going to leave you with this thought that I did last week and the last few weeks. You know that there aren't many things that can be preached and taught from God's Word. Sister Vera, that raise more interest than the subject of prophecy. People like to know what to expect. They like to know what the the future is going to hold for them. And God gives us a lot of prophecy. God gives it that we might understand it. We find that the simple truth is, though, is that prophecy should have a great effect upon our lives. The second coming of Jesus Christ, and particularly If you believe as I do genuinely and sincerely today in the imminent return of Christ, that the first stage of his second coming, the rapture of the saints to heaven, that that could take place at any moment, that there's nothing hindering that. It ought to affect our lives in tremendous ways. If you are here today, and if you don't know without any shadow of a doubt, with absolute certainty, that you're saved, that your sins have been forgiven, that you've been born again, that you're ready to face God at the judgment seat of Christ, eyeball to eyeball, because you don't want to be at the other judgment that we'll look at later. If you don't know with certainty, folks, not that you've just got some religion, that you've said some little prayer, that you've done this or that religious thing, but that you've humbled yourself before a holy God, that you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, that your sins have been forgiven, if there's any doubt, then the fact that he may return any time should challenge you to make sure that you're ready and know that. And for believers, it should do two big things in our lives, folks. We find that Jesus even points it out here in Matthew. He points it out very clearly that we need to be ready, that we ought to be watching, That we ought to be expecting him because he can come at any time. Matter of fact, at one point he says, In such an hour as you think not. It's not where we would think that he would come. We don't know. That should challenge us to be ready for him. Where do you want to be when the trumpet sounds? What do you want to be saying? What do you want to be watching? What do you want to be doing? What do you want to be thinking? The trumpet could sound at any moment. Folks, it ought to have an effect upon our lives. Are we ready for the trumpet to sound in our lives? Are we ready to face God right now with our life like it is? Even if we know that we're saved and we're on the way to heaven, do we want to stand before God with our current lives? It ought to challenge us to live lives that count. How much time have we got left to build something in heaven, something that will last for eternity versus something that is temporary here upon this earth? How much time do we have? win those that we love, that are not ready to face God. How long do we have for our family, for our friends, for those we love? Oh, I know. <laughs> Any of your family ever get irritated because you're trying to tell them about Jesus and they don't want to hear it? <laughs> Any of your family ever get irritated with you? Oh, I know. I'm not talking about driving wedges. I'm talking about praying and seeking every opportunity you can There may not be another day. There may not be another week. We've got right now. Now is the accepted time, the Bible says. Christians, all those around us, when that trumpet sounds, I'll give you some scriptures later. I'll just say this now. I believe that if you're under the sound of my voice today and you've heard the gospel in this life and you've rejected it, I wouldn't count on my opportunities of being able to do something about it during the tribulation after the rapt. If you're thinking, oh, well, I'll know it's true then. Not according to the Bible. You're that deceived now. You're going to be even more deceived then. Now is the time. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for the privilege of being able to look into your word and Lord, your disciples asked a simple question. They wanted to know when you were coming and when the end of this world was going to come. And you went to great detail to give the signs which we can surely look and see and know that are around us right now, Lord. And those things that still must come. Lord, if we if we recognize your second coming is in these two stages, there are two events. There's a time when you're going to come, that you're going to surprise us, that no man knows, that you're going to call us out of here. And Lord, that's for your saints. Then there's a time when you're going to come to this earth and set up your kingdom. And Father, I pray today that if there's anyone here in this congregation that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Oh, may they not put it off for another day. May they not leave here with those questions and those doubts and those uncertainties. Well, that is a foolish gamble. But, Father, I pray also for every Christian here. Lord, we can all walk out the door just like we came in this morning and no effect. And, Lord, not because this preacher said it, but because your word has said it. I pray that these things may challenge our lives and have an effect upon us today that none of us would leave here the same as when we came in. That we would leave with a greater desire to make whatever time we've got count for you. We may take whatever time we've got to try to win those around us that will never have an opportunity once that trumpet sounds. Father, I pray that you would use this today to challenge our lives and that, Lord, whatever is needed here today, that each one would be receptive and responsive to that which you speak to them.